I never really thought I would make it as an artist in some respects. I didn't have that confidence in me. I I always saw myself as a mum, someone's mum mm. and the family person and that always came first. So what I wanted to do as an artist was just something for me. But then opportunities presented themselves and with those opportunities came another opportunity and it sort of snowballed a little bit from there. When it came time to do that final work, I was working with architecture. So I just thought, I'll draw a house big as a house. Like, as you do, why not? Why yeah. not? It's a lot more difficult than people understand. It's a mindset. You can't just go into an empty room and say, I'm going to paint a masterpiece today or, or whatever. It doesn't work like that. There's a whole no. process around that and understanding intention and also production, which takes a long time. Welcome to the Installation Art Podcast, the world's number one podcast about installation art and the people who make it. In today's episode, I'm talking with a highly regarded, award-winning Australian artist, Catherine O'Donnell. Her career path is truly awe-inspiring and somewhat unusual. She spent the first part of her life working as a lab technician, testing pharmaceutical products. After having four children and being a stay-at-home mom, she decided to do something just for herself as a hobby and went to study drawing and fine arts at TAFE. For our international listeners, TAFE is a network of institutions that provide mainly technical and vocational training in Australia. Catherine's practice is primarily based around very detailed charcoal drawing. In this episode, we will hear how her drawing practice turned toward installation from site-specific murals to full-on architectural constructions, and how she went from studying drawing just for herself to attending international residencies, winning multiple awards, having her work in the permanent collection of Art Gallery of New South Wales, and having a survey show earlier this year. And from what I've seen, she's only just getting started. It is my great pleasure to introduce you to Catherine O'Donnell. Quick questions just to get us going. Mm -hmm. On a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? How weird am I? Personally weird? I don't think I'm very weird. I know you'd have to ask other people that. No one thinks they're weird, do they? <laughs> really? Because I think... I oh, okay. Well, I'd say ask other people myself. <laughs> so you think you're fairly normal. Yeah. Well, my own brand of normal, I suppose, <laughs> which is maybe not somebody else's brand of normal. Do you have a favourite quote? Quote? Well, as far as art's concerned, in the doing comes the answer. What's your go-to beverage in the studio? Oh, a cup of tea. That's very what kind boring. Of tea? Just black English breakfast tea <laughs> with a little bit of milk. And do you have a secret hobby or interest? Um, I don't know. I like to go to musicals. Oh. <laughs> I don't know that that's a secret, but <laughs> you like musicals. I do like musicals. Do you theater. also listen to them at home? Like I do. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> What yeah. kind of, like, what's one of oh, your favourites? I just went and saw Beauty and the Beast. I like those yeah. big productions. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> cool. I want to start from the beginning. I know that you came to art a little later in life, but I want to know, were you an arty kid? Yes, I did come to formal art training a little bit later in life. And I liked to draw as a child. I suppose creativeness as a child is inherent with being a child in some respects. 
but I do recall my love for drawing. Mm-hmm. And so what happened then? You, you trained to be... I left school and trained to be a laboratory technician. So I went and did chemistry and worked in a laboratory for years, uh, testing raw materials that went into finished products, particularly pharmaceutical products. Wow. <laughs> totally. Totally different. Different fields. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so how on earth did you then decide to do art? Well, I suppose I had four children and I then got a job in a high school getting science classes ready for children so I could have that time of school holidays and before and after school and be home for my family. And then when my last child went to school, I had all this extra time on my hands because I only worked part-time. And I just thought it would be nice to go to somewhere and learn to draw formally because I'd never had any training or anything like that. And I discovered a certificate four at the local Nepean TAFE. So I went down there and did a certificate four in fine arts, which is what it was called back then. So did you quit your job as a lab No, tech? I did. You just did it on the side? <laughs> I did it on the side, yes, I did. Okay. Yes. I was job sharing with another lab technician, so I think I had two days, she had three days, and I went to TAFE because that was a three-day course. Mm-hmm. So I could do two days at work and three days at the TAFE mm-hmm. for two years, and that's where it started. Right. Yeah. So at the end of the TAFE? Uh, at the end of the TAFE, I, I was encouraged to go to university which I was extremely nervous about because I actually never did what's now the HSC. I left left school in year 10, so I was very nervous about that. But I also wanted to go further, and that was where you would go. So I went over to the University of Western Sydney and did a Bachelor of Fine Arts there, again, because it was close to home, and that was the only option to go and do fine arts when you're west of Sydney. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was part-time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the university load is never five days a week, so I was always working part-time. But then you ended up also doing a master's. Oh, that was a few years later. So after I finished the bachelor, uh, I had a few years just doing what you do and then had an idea that I would like to to go a little bit further and the National Arts School was an institution that always interested me. But because of my distance from Sydney, it was never practical to go there with four children and a husband at home and do all the things that I wanted to do at home and go to Sydney and also the amount of art materials you have to carry on public transport. It's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So I applied to the National Arts School a few years later and got in and did my master's by research, but I also used my home studio so I didn't have to come in to the campus regularly. I just had to come in for crits or whenever I needed to, but it wasn't on a regular basis. So that suited me. When was this? I think it was 2014, maybe 15, somewhere around there. can't remember. Seems like so long ago. Was your family and your kids, were they supportive of your... Yeah, always, always. The the kids, they just think, well, that's just what mum does and they don't think two minds about it. And my lovely husband is extremely supportive and um, encouraging and always has been, which in some respects gave me the freedom to to do what I do to the degree that I do it because he has always encouraged me and supported me in any decision that I made to make mm-hmm. it easy for me. So he's good. Was there a moment where you thought or knew or decided, I'm going to be an artist now or I am an artist now? <laughs> no, not really. That's a funny question because I think when I was at school 
And if you wanted to go into the arts back then, it was not something that was encouraged. It was get a real job type scenario. Yeah, was being an yeah. artist even a job? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Unless you could probably work for Disney or as a sign writer, that was oh, big yeah. or in commercial art. Um, and of course, as a child, I thought working for Disney would be the ultimate, but never got there. <laughs> well, I went into TAFE not wanting to be an artist. I went in to learn to draw the way I hoped, you know, I like to draw and hoped that I would learn something to build on and, and be proficient at what I do. So what actually inspired that? Well, I had no expectations or ambitions when I went to TAFE, only to satisfy a need in me to yeah. do something for myself after raising four children for the past I don't know, 10, 15 years or whatever that was. Basically to learn a skill. Yeah, I wanted to do something that for me, not fun. for somebody else. Yeah. And I just enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed the people that I was with. I loved learning new things. I used materials that I'd never used before. I was exposed to art history, which I never knew before. So it was all, it was wonderful. I never missed a day. I was always so excited to get up in the morning and go. I loved it. I really loved it. I never really thought I would make it as an artist in some respects. I didn't have that confidence in me. I always saw myself as a mum, someone's mum, mm. and the family person, and that always came first. So what I wanted to do as an artist was just something for me. It was something for me. But then opportunities presented themselves, and with those opportunities came another opportunity, and it sort of snowballed a little bit from there, which was wonderful. <laughs> and so I pinched was myself there a moment <laughs> in there during that process where you thought, oh, I'm doing it? I can it. do it. Yeah, possibly there was. I, I can't pinpoint that. With every exhibition that I was invited into or every studio that I was offered for a residency, I probably I would think this is my job. Mm. You know, this is now my job and now I very much know that this is my job and I love what I do. But I don't know that there was a moment. I think it, it just gradually built for me because a lot of people don't really understand what artists do, I believe. No, they do not. No, and you, you say to someone, oh, I'm an artist, and they go, oh, you paint pictures, you know, yeah. you paint lovely pictures of flowers, and you think, no, it's so much more than that. So I don't think society in general has a true understanding of what an artist does. So to label yourself as an artist brings questions from people that don't understand, and sometimes it was easier not to say that. I feel like it's not even just that. That's like the most basic level. but. As I've met people along the way who are artists and who really get what it's like to be an artist, mm. I feel like it goes so deep, that kind of understanding of what it's like mm. to be that creative person and having to express yourself. It's a lot more difficult than people understand. It's, yes. it's, a, it's a mindset. You can't just go into an empty room and say, I'm going to paint a masterpiece today or, or whatever. It doesn't work like that. There's a whole no. process around that and understanding intention and also production, which takes a long time in any of the creative arts, not just visual arts, but music, I imagine, theatre, actors, all, all sorts of things. You can't just do it, the drop of a hat. There's a process. 100%. And a lot of what goes into art is stuff that we don't see that people feel inside of themselves, the yeah. creative people, but everyone else just 
has no clue. No, well, they see the end product. Yeah. So they look at a, a beautiful painting on a wall, they see that end product and they think, oh, that's really lovely. It's the same as an Olympian. You see the Olympic race that they run and you think, that's fantastic. But you don't yeah. look at all the years behind that. Was there a person along that course of studies that stood out to you who uh, influenced you or maybe an artist you learned about? I suppose I had teachers along the way that had faith in me and encouraged me because my self-confidence at that time wasn't very high. I just was the student that hid behind the easel in the back of the room and didn't really want to be <laughs> the centre of attention. So I did have teachers that were very encouraging, which was great. And I think one of the exhibitions that I did see, because predominantly I'm a drawer and I draw, but when I went to university, I felt like I drew in a very traditional way with traditional medium media and uh, the school was very contemporary, mm -hmm. arts-focused and conceptual and I did struggle with that a little bit personally. So when I went and saw the exhibition of William Kentridge at the MCA oh, years ago now, it was just floor after floor of amazing charcoal drawings and charcoal animations and it just opened my eyes to possibilities, mm. I suppose, and that it could be something I could do. Let's get to the installation part. So you, you're studying art and you're mainly focusing on drawing. Yeah. What on earth gave you this crazy idea that you could do installation too? I went to the National Art School and did a master's in drawing because that's where my heart is. And when it came time to do that final work, I was working with architecture, particularly low-income housing from the 1960s, Sydney low-income housing. So I just thought, I'll draw a house big as a house, like, as you do. Why not? So that, looking back, would probably be the first installed work that I did. That was on eight drops of paper, 150 mm -hmm. wide, 240 centimetres high, wow. and it measured just over 11 metres. So that was installed into the space because I knew how big the wall was and I yeah. knew how big the house I wanted to draw was and I wanted to draw it to scale. So I had to scale it down a little bit so it could fit that wall. So I think that's probably the first installed work that I did. And I also did a large drawing, which was 4.2 metres high, uh, 1.5 wide, again, because of the limitations of the wall. Mm -hmm. And that was in the same show. So those two pieces in particular were made for that space. and the restrictions around that space was yeah. what uh, dictated size and so on and so forth. And so how did you move on then into using tape? Well, a few years after that, I got an invitation by the Art Gallery of New South Wales to be in the Australian Drawing Biennale. And I was taken into the room by the curator, Anne Ryan, and she said, basically, that's your wall. <laughs> so I'd come off the back of doing the big house at the National Art School, and I thought in my head was still a house. And I thought, okay, that's a 10-metre wall. What can I do with that? And I didn't really want to do another whole big drawing on paper because I had done that and it took months and months mm -hmm. to do. So in in my mind, I said, how can I do it quicker? So yeah. I started to do it with tape on the wall and I would tape the both sides and I'd put the charcoal in between and use the tape as a, a masking thing and you'd pull it off and then there's your lovely line. So yeah. I would draw the, the doors and the windows very representationally 
and refine them. And then I would draw the size of the house, the stairs, the beading around the fibro with this line of charcoal. So I did that one and then I was had an opportunity to do it again or I wanted to do it again. And in my head, I thought, how can I do this quicker? Because that was extremely labor intensive for the scale that I did. And I thought, tape, I'll just put a line of tape up because it was quick in the studio to put on the wall to get the idea of the dimensions and the perspective and I could move it rather than drawing lines. So I used to use tape as a just as a line on the wall to get what I wanted and then take those measurements and bring them back mm-hmm. to my graph and use them in a different way. So I, I started to use tape instead of that charcoal line on the wall. Love that. <laughs> That's how I came to my drawing style as well, ah. to do things quicker. <laughs> It just is so much quicker. You can put one big line and you can just rip it off and deinstall. When you deinstall, it's just so much quicker. So yeah. there was a practical element around that. And I've grown to actually really love that tape and that straight edge and that line that it gives. So I use it quite a lot. How precise are you with like the angles and the scale? Uh, pretty precise. Yeah. <laughs> pretty precise. Yes. I need to make it look the way I want it to look. Otherwise, it doesn't sit with me. So that's, and again, that's why tape's good. I can move it. The line on the wall is there and I'd have to remove it and redo it. Tape, I just lift it and move it. That's yeah. very easy. I really love the combination of a framed, very intricate charcoal painting. Of like a window or yep. something, and then the tape that's just this very abstractish black line. Yeah, I suppose that that hits on my practice for me is um, I love representation and detail, but I also love abstraction, and that's why I found that quite satisfying to do because I could use the line and depict the house in an abstract form, but I brought it back to reality with the windows and the doors, which were very representational. Yeah. You've recently had a huge survey show at Orange and Grafton Regional Galleries yes. where you recreated an entire 3D house. Yes. How did you get to that, that level? I was approached to do the survey show and, of course, any survey show has a few years to lead up to that. But COVID was in between that, so it possibly gave me a little bit more time but I wanted a centerpiece for that show. So they were looking at my exhibition across um, my practice, beg your pardon, across a 15 year or so span. So I wanted to bring something in that was new and, I, and I've always wanted to build a house. So again, it became site specific in the respect that I was given the plans of the gallery because the gallery wasn't actually, that gallery wasn't built at the time. They were redeveloping and that was a new part to the Orange gallery and also Grafton were redeveloping at the same time. So I was given the the floor plans so I could see how big the space would be and I built the house to fit into that space. So the house is actually 75% uh, version of reality. So I scaled everything down by 25%. Mm-hmm. And again, it's quite representational. It's just a scaled down version. So it was the opportunity to do that. It was in my mind for a long time, but it I think with installation art, as you would know, the opportunity to put it in a space is often what spurs you on and makes you think creatively about that space. 100%. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The opportunity to to fill a space is what creates the work. Oh, absolutely. You don't build a house in your backyard, not to live in as an artwork, 
if you don't have anywhere for it because exactly. there's a whole lot of issues around that. You approach your work in a way where the project comes first, as in you already know the space you're going to fill and then you create yeah. the installation for it. Generally, I have lots of ideas in my head, yeah, like a little filing cabinet, and when that opportunity presents, then I can draw on those ideas and mm. bring them into the space. But the space and whatever the exhibition is or the brief around that is where the work is created in some respects. Mm-hmm. And for this house, which, as I recall, every side represents a different real house from your childhood. Yes, so, or? well, I work with, as I say, low-income housing from the mid-1900s because it was in Orange and because it was in Grafton and that was a partnership exhibition with them. I took two houses from Western Sydney from where I grew up, one house from Orange and one house from Grafton to make it connect to the spaces that they were going to be shown in mm. and those homes are still standing. So I, I went out, I've got file files and files of images, but I went out and especially in Orange and, and Grafton and had a look around the, the areas that I were in, was interested in and, and made sure I found the house that would fit because the house had to be a certain size so it would sit on the four sides the same. You know, they've got mm, the same linear yeah, right. lineage, so I had to make sure that it would fit. So there was a reason why I chose those ones in particular. Right. I could have chosen a lot, but because of the gallery space that I was working with, because as you get bigger and I'm using wood and I knew we wanted to transport it, we had to consider weight. And Mm -hmm. so scale comes in with that too. The bigger it is, the more it's going to weigh, the harder it is to transport, the harder it is to store. So there was a lot of logistics in why I chose the houses that I actually chose I mean, it started as a sketch on a page mm. and then I had a lovely man, Mike Allen from Orange, worked with the gallery there and he was a designer. So he helped me bring it up because I wanted it to float off the floor. So he helped me elevate it and stabilize it. And he did a lot of the the things that I can't do. I'm I'm not a builder. And then I had John Daly, who also works for Orange. He's an artist himself and he is a very talented man in building and a whole lot of other things. And he stayed with me along that journey and he, we built the house, we built all the bits and pieces, we installed, we de-installed or he de-installed, I didn't. And so I had a lot of support, Yeah, but I was very hands-on in the whole process. Well, you were in the workshop cutting yeah. wood and... Yeah. yeah, yeah, making the little windows, making the doors, everything. I didn't do the footing, so I didn't do the, the base footings. That was all done by... John and Mike, but I did do all the other stuff with them. Did you have to learn some new skills for that? Yeah, a little bit. John John was very good at showing me how to use some of the power tools and I was a little bit nervous, but we got <laughs> in the end. It was good. Ooh. I did learn a lot. That was really cool. Yeah. yeah. So how long did it take from starting the sketch on paper to oh. get it ready to install? That would have to be two years, I think, wow. a little bit more because COVID was in between. Mm. So I would go up to Orange and work on the house periodically. So it was stored up there with John. So I had to make sure he was available. It was also stored at the gallery. So I had to make sure it didn't impact on what they were doing as well. They were very generous in everything they did for me. And was it designed from the get-go to be able to 
disassemble it and reinstall it. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I knew that it was going to travel and I knew that it had to be stored. So I wanted to make sure that it fitted into a small truck. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the bigger you make it, the bigger the truck, the more complicated. And also to be able to install it with as little problems as possible. We were using materials from Bunnings, so sheets of MDF. So how big is a sheet of MDF? Mm -hmm. There was a whole lot of things around that. How much is all this going to weigh? How are we going to store it? So all that was talked about in the beginning before we moved ahead. Yeah, I know all about <laughs> standard widths of That's MDF. Right. And That's exactly right, and weights and so on and so forth. Oh, yeah, yeah. the yeah. weight of each sheet, yeah. So the exhibitions happened. Where is the installation now? The installation started in Orange and then it went up to Grafton and then it went out to Campbelltown and the Powerhouse Museum have taken it into their collection. Oh, how cool. Powerhouse in Sydney. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I'm thrilled yeah. because it gets to the point when you're finished, what do you do with it? I know. What do you do? <laughs> it would have been big enough to be a pretty cool playhouse, but um, the Powerhouse took it into their collection and I couldn't think of a better place for it to be. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Does the impermanence of installation also affect how you make it or how you think of your work around it? Uh, absolutely. I've installed some paste-ups, for want of a better word, in the streets in uh, a few places. Oh, really? So, yeah, so I have... So, like, drawing on paper? Well, it's my drawing and then it's printed onto this aluminium film and then oh, the yeah. aluminium film is installed on a wall or wherever you want it. I have to investigate materials, so I have to find a material that I can print on, that I can get the resolution that I want on, that I can then upscale my drawing to that point that we can print it on the aluminium foil, which was another thing that I got advice on because I wanted it to last. It had to last more than a week or two that a piece of paper would last. It had to withstand the weather, had to withstand the public in some respects too. Mm -hmm. And this aluminium foil that I use seemed to be a good base. Mm-hmm. So I had to find a printer that would print with it and and yeah, depending what the project is, whether it's inside, whether it's outside, how long you want it to be there, that does factor into the decision-making along the way. So obviously yeah. a piece of tape's not going to last that long, but the aluminium foil lasts a lot longer. Where are those? Oh, they're in Orange. I've got a series through Orange CBD. I had a series at Campbelltown Art Centre also, but that was removed when my show went, so you can easily remove that. Are they still there in the Orange? The Orange one, I believe some of them are still there because some of them have been vandalised. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, yes, I do believe they're still in Orange. Do you like doing public art where it's out in the wild? I, I do, but it comes with different requirements. You have to deal with the council. You have to deal with public safety. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole nother beast, I think, public art. Yeah. Does it bother you that it's open to vandalism? Sometimes it does. I think you have to let go of that a little bit because people are people and they'll do what they do. I suppose what I don't like is the, the senselessness of that on any public art that it gets destroyed just because somebody can destroy it. That's the thing that I don't like. But that happens to lots of things, mm. <laughs> not just my work. 
I quite like the aspect of it where um, it's out there and people don't even know it. Like they don't yeah. notice it. I've yeah. had temporary public card installations in the middle of the city and people just walk right over it and don't even blink. And I, I just love that so much. <laughs> I don't know why it's, yeah, there's something about art in plain sight that's invisible yeah. that I find so fascinating. Well, I, I suppose that was the whole thing with the Orange project was I reinstalled some of my window drawings into buildings that used to have windows, but then they were blocked up or I'd put a, a walkway or a doorway into a big brick wall. So it sort of looks like you could go in, but you can't because it's a, a paste up. So it was playing with that space was, was fun for me. Yeah, cool. Do you have any stories or behind the scenes peaks of some unexpected issue or some minor disaster or challenge that happened in that <laughs> process? I'm not sure about disasters as such. Everything was really meticulously planned. Obviously, when you store something and move it and reinstall it, things get knocked and bumped and broken. So we would fix them up and paint them up or replace them. Other than that, I personally don't have any real big disasters. I've got lots of little bumps and knocks and scratches and public drawing fingers across my drawn work on the wall. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's a disaster. Yeah. I can understand people wanting to touch the installation, like the house, or they want to touch the tape on the wall to understand what it is. Do people touch your actual charcoal drawings? Yes, unfortunately. More commonly than you would think. Often when I, I do the drawings on the paper, I install the paper on the wall as paper. I don't yeah. protect it all and then I do the line drawing around it. It's very common to find finger marks dragged across the black into the white. I don't know. They just <laughs> have to touch it. <sighs> people, if <Yeah>. you're listening. <laughs> don't touch. Do not touch works yeah. on paper or any works in fact and I, I suppose unless it's explicitly said that you can yes I, I suppose that would be a disaster in some respect because I have had some work that that's it goes in the bin basically yeah. I can't fix it some of it I can fix and I do but others it's just not worth it because you'd have a big mark on the paper or bruised paper and I have had animals like a little frog jumped up on one of my rolls of paper and left a little deposit there <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I know, <laughs> which is something you wouldn't expect. And they got a conservator in, which was fantastic, and cleaned it as best they could, but there was still a mark there. Yeah. So, <laughs> that yeah, I didn't want to re-show that work with the little brown mark on it. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, sometimes you can hide those things. but Yeah, but sometimes you can't. Yeah. I've had quite a large piece destroyed just by people sitting on it, like a sofa. I can imagine that they would want to. I know, yes, they I, really yes. wanted to. Yeah. And it was the lapse of the invigilator for three minutes. It took three minutes. That's because they got the Insta shot? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't take long and it's basically... Ruined. Ruined. Yeah. I yeah. could not show it as it is. I don't even know if I can fix it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I under totally understand. I totally understand. People with installations are challenging, especially if you work with something that's like 
pure white or quite yeah. fragile. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For the other aspects of installation work, you know, for example, the work with tape mm. and drawing, is it something that you would sell as a whole piece? or I could. So the way I work with the tape drawing is I draw them on a grid paper. So I make a plan of the drawing so it's easily installed. And then, of course, when you deinstall, you just rip it up. But I've got measurements. So somebody could easily reinstall that. Uh, yeah. I have never sold one of those. So, so you I could do say, like a it, solar wit type. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The big house drawing with the charcoal lines, the Art Gallery of New South Wales own that. Mm -hmm. So they would have to reinstall that work. So I've given them a lot of detailed instructions on how to do it and with lots of photographs and the map. I call them the maps, but it's a big grid paper where I just put all the lines and the measurements and things like that. So they will reinstall it at another time. Yeah. So you can. That's yeah. really So I've cool. got a big pile of grid paper at home with all the installation works. So, yes, the work has travelled to be exhibited in other places, like regional spaces and other places, and I just send the installation instructions, I send the tape, and I send the big map, so to speak, and they install it. And uh, you've been happy with the yeah, 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 yeah. I generally get a FaceTime or something to say, or photo, this is what it looks like, and if I see something, I'll ask them to fix it, correct mm. it, change it, do whatever. But generally, it's worked really well. That's cool. Yeah. And it packs down nice and small. Yeah, that's the goal for me, to be able to not be there for install. Yeah, I, I often will go, but I don't need to go. I've got it to a point now and I've refined it to a point where I think it's easily read and installed as easy as they can be. Yeah. So is doing that drawing... Is all, all of that part of your normal process anyway? Drawing on grid paper. Yeah. 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 I love drawing on grid paper. Yeah. So that's part of my process. So you don't have to take any further steps to have that plan for an installation for some No, I, I generally will tidy it up because yeah. often I will draw numbers and lines and it's very messy. Mm. And I start with a graphite pencil and then if I can't see my mistakes or see what I'm supposed to write because there's so much graphite, then I'll put a red pencil over the top and then I'll go to blue. So I've got, <laughs> got a process, yeah, because I make lots of mistakes. So you will see paper with red and blue and graphite on there and then I will refine that onto a page once it's all done that I can give to someone and they can understand it rather than having to decipher all my scribbles. Yeah. Wow. I'm very impressed with your precision. <laughs> I am absolutely not like that at all with my work. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's lots of mistakes and don't look too carefully. <laughs> Do you think your background in uh, science also influences how you work in uh, art? I suppose it does. I never really thought about it. People have said that to me. They said, oh, you, you're good with detail, but I think that some people are good with detail and some people couldn't be bothered with detail. So probably just part of who I am. You're yeah. good with numbers, it seems. Oh, no. I use my calculator a lot. But I have, if you go into my studio, there's lots of numbers on the wall because when I'm trying to scale up, scale down, I'm always mm. using math. So yeah. I do use my calculator or it's on the wall if it's a simple one. There's lots of scribbles all over my walls of numbers. Wow. And my sketchbook of numbers, really, rather than drawings. <laughs> That's cool. What does your studio look like? A mess at the moment because I've got too many things going on. While I'm in 
the middle of a project or in the middle of preparing for an exhibition, it does get quite messy. Mm-hmm. And then I have to clean up before I start the next thing because it's too messy for me. So my space is not very big. If it was bigger, probably I would leave the mess. But because it's not big, I need to be tidy so I'm not tripping over things and things like that. So I do clean up after every project. Mm-hmm. What kind of artist are you? Are you the person who always needs to be creating or do you prefer to make something for a specific project? I think a deadline always helps me create because I can always think of lots of other things I could be doing and I do have mm-hmm. a procrastination element in my process where I you know I know something's coming up so I procrastinate around the studio just do anything else bit of admin whatever until I finally settle and then I I start so a deadline often helps me mm. but it's not the sole thing that drives me yeah do you use a sketchbook as part of your practice I always have a sketchbook but I don't draw in it I plan in it yeah I write notes in it I'm always on you know whatever I'm doing I'll write a note or if I'm on the the computer I'll write notes so there's a lot of notes in there but I don't draw pictures I work from photographs a lot Mm -hmm. I have a big file on my computer so really my sketchbook is my computer in some respects have you had any negative moments or obstacles along your path from when you started to study drawing between then and now? Well, I I suppose, I don't know if there are obstacles. I live away from Sydney. I live in the Blue Mountains, and I think the distance between there and here, it's not an obstacle, but it makes things a little bit more difficult. And sometimes I do wish that I had a studio in Sydney and I could be, you know, in the heart of all these things because once you get west of the city, there's not a lot. There are places, but not the same as in the city. So I do feel the distance is, for me, something that I would like to, to be smaller. Mm. But that's not going to happen in the near future. So I just have to make the best of what I got. And also my studio space, sometimes I wish that was bigger. If the project is a big project, I need a big space. So that's another reason why when I have the opportunity to do large things, that comes with having a, a space. And I've been fortunate over the years that Some galleries have let me use their space when I've done big things and supported that. And I can't do it in my studio. It's awful. Yeah. That's what I mean. Everything's here. If I wanted to have a studio or apply for those ones at Carriage Works, I'm going to have to travel an hour and a half on the train. It's a commitment. You can't just do it one day a week. You have to do it more than one day a week. 100%. Yeah, I know. So I had a studio at Parramatta, Parramatta Mm -hmm. Artist Studios, which was better. It's not so mm, far. That's a yeah. 40-minute train trip, so I definitely could do that and I could drive. You book the spot, you could drive, then you could take stuff with you. So I did enjoy the Paramount Artist Studio. Yeah. There's a few good people there. Lots of good people, but a few sort of have shot into stardom from there. So that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. feel very isolated where I am. Yeah. That's what I do. It's definitely nice to be able to talk to artists. Absolutely. Yeah, because they they, talk about different things. Yeah. My community is probably more in Sydney, mostly because I teach at the National Art School. Mm. So I think that's the the pin, if you know what I mean. And they all live everywhere. But when I come in, I see them and it's nice to see them and we have a chat and, you know, you see their names coming up on the show with you or whatever. So 
there is that community as such and the, the Instagram community, which a lot of them are connected that way. But other than that, studio for me is very quiet. And even curators, I've had some curators come to the studio, mm-hmm. but generally I will come in to see them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Often I work and then the work goes out. Yeah, it's And I don't store it. It's stored wherever. Yeah, exactly. So they come to my place to look at work. They're not, it's nothing. There's, There's nothing, nothing there to look at except old stuff that I wouldn't want people to look at. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I just plod along somehow and hope for the best. Yeah, basically that's what it is. When I got the house built, the carpenters, the council carpenters built it. So you're asking people who have no art training to whack up these four walls, so to speak, but they think of house mm-hmm. and you're thinking of art, art. installation. <laughs> Sometimes they're different. Yeah, you, know? you have Often to like they're different. translate yeah. it somehow. They go, oh, you need to have the, the bits down the wall so far apart and you think, well, no, you don't because it's actually just like a film set. Yeah, isn't it? exactly. That's what it is. So that was funny and they thought it was a little bit weird, but that's the difference between art world and non-art world, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) it's all fun. I wouldn't do it otherwise, is it? It must have been quite a commute going to Orange when you were working on building the house. Oh, yeah. It was a three-hour drive. One way. Yeah. 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 But I didn't mind. It was a country drive, really, just over the mountains and off you go. And I would just go and I would stay two nights and then I would come home. In my head, three hours drive is I'll do something up to three hours in one day if I have to. I like the country drive. It doesn't really bother me. And of course, when you get to the other end, it's exciting. You're there to build a house. You're there to talk about the show. So, you know, you want to go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Did you try to use your commute time for something like listening to podcasts or books? Yeah, sometimes I listen to the audio books. Sometimes I listen to the music or I chat to a friend or... (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I do try to use it productively if I can. Mm -hmm. It also makes the time go really quickly Yeah, I'm doing that too. Do you also listen to stuff when you're in the studio? What do you like? Yeah, I lately I've been listening to some audio books, but music is another thing or podcasts. just depends on how I feel on the day to what I do. But I find audio books are actually really helpful in – just letting me do other things but also enjoy a story or something else. Or the podcast the same. You can do other things and you can listen. Mm. So. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping people will be listening to this from their <laughs> studio while working on something. Yeah. That would be cool to accompany somebody in their work. I asked you in the beginning about a moment where you thought, oh, I'm an artist. Mm. Has there been a moment where you're like, I've made it? Uh, I suppose sometimes I suffer with that imposter syndrome, you know, think, why am I here? Why, why is my work here? Look what's around me. But, of course, I have points in my career that I'm extremely proud of and, you know, other people may or may not have had the same opportunity. So I feel very fortunate to have an international residency. Those sorts of things, you have to pinch yourself and say, I'm really lucky How did that come about? Tell me a bit about the residencies. Residencies. I've had a residency in Rome and Venice and Paris. So I went to the Cité for three months. That was through the University of Sydney in the Power Institute. And I got the studio over there for three months, which was wonderful. And then I had a three-month stint in Rome as well and a one-month stint 
in Venice. And was it all separate yeah, opportunities separate, uh, that yeah, you, you applied over, for separately? Yes, yes, it was all application-based opportunities mm-hmm. and you just get to do different things in a different city, have time to focus, to reevaluate, to try new things without the distraction of your everyday life. So it's an extremely valuable thing to do and very competitive and that's why I always felt really lucky that I was chosen on those three occasions to go when I'm sure there's so many other um, very good applications as well. How, how do you choose one over the other? I don't mm. know, but I was really grateful. I suppose at that moment I thought, wow, this is happening to me. That's amazing. Yeah, You couldn't not think of, think of that. And, and yeah. I do. I pinch myself. I've been overseas. I get to do amazing things, meet amazing people. The art world has given me so much. I'm very fortunate. What's one of the proudest moments of your career so far as an artist? Well, I suppose when I was in the drawing Biennale in the Art Gallery of New South Wales, that was a big deal for me. I felt really excited and privileged to be there. And also the survey show, for them to put on a survey show of my work was an absolutely amazing thing. And I was very excited and, and very proud of the work that I did there, which mm. now the powerhouse own. I'm sure I've got other moments too, but they're the two that just come to mind straight away. Yeah. And did those change something for you in terms of the way you create your work, the way you think about it, or just in terms of your career? Uh, well, the, the overseas residencies did impact on the way I think about what I do, and they also um, made me see potential in what I do. When I went to Paris, I was very inf- influenced by the paste-ups in Paris because there's a lot, and that was the first place I did put my work out into the street just as a little project while I was over at the Cité, which then has led to that being, you know, in Orange, mm. out at um, Campbelltown and other places. So that's a direct link to that residency. And then the one in Rome, I, I went over to look at the Baroque period and the trompe l'oeil architectural paintings and that has really influenced me with my use of tape and my love and understanding of perspective. I still love to do that, and that was a big thing for me to go overseas and see those sweeping ceilings and Borromini's forced perspective little archway and things like that that I've only seen in books. To be confronted with that had a big effect on me as well. Um, what about in terms of your career? What were some of the exhibitions or opportunities you think that were maybe a turning point? Well, again, I would say the Art Gallery of New South Wales, that exhibition, and and also my survey show in some respects made me feel like I'd taken an, another step forward in my career. How did the Art Gallery Biennale invitation come about? Um, I was contacted by the curator. And <laughs> I remember I was going to Rome to go to my residency in yeah. Rome and I got an email from her and she said, oh, you know, I want to have a chat. And it was like two days before I flew out. I thought, oh, my gosh, who gets a, an email from the curator at the Art Gallery of New South Wales? And it's like, I'm going overseas. So I just quickly ran in there to see her and she told me that she wanted me to be part of the show, which was really exciting. And then I jumped on a plane and went to Rome. So it was a little bit surreal. A classic. <laughs> Everything always comes at once, doesn't it? Yeah, so it was a little bit, <laughs> a little bit surreal. <laughs> That's funny. So actually, for you, if you break down your 
income as an artist, how does it sit in terms of sales versus like artist fees and commissions? Well, sales, if I have a show, that's where most of my sales are going to come from, Mm -hmm. which might be every two years, it might be once a year, it might be every 18 months. So that lump sum will only come really then. Mm. Then you're looking at artist fees or bit of sporadic sales through there. So I don't know. I've never really look, looked at that because the artist fees are not often a lot, are they? Yeah. I mean, it really depends on which place. And, that's right. Um, yeah, that's right. So if it's a group show, you're going to get less. Yeah. Um, depends whether it, they've got money because often they say, oh, we really want you to show your work here, but we've got no money. That's yeah. often the that's second the, sentence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Again. <laughs> So it, it, I've never looked at those figures and I've just come off the back of a show which I've done well with, um, but of course I won't earn that sort of money for the next year or so that I can see anyway. Yeah. Basically. So I teach at National Arts School. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That sort of keeps me going, which you'll find most people are like that really. What's a hard truth that you've had to learn as an artist? I don't know that you can't do everything that you want to in some respects. You know, you see other people's work, you think, oh, that's amazing. I wish I could do that. And you have to be true to who you are and you can only do what you can do. But also the rejection, I think, that goes along in the art world is something that you need to digest and not take to heart because it's really hard and subjective. And, you know, I get lots of rejections like everybody else. And sometimes they're harder to take than other times. But that's just how it goes. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an integral part of being an artist, isn't it? Yeah, it's learn to cope with rejection. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there doing amazing things, and they're all talented too. So, just grateful for whatever opportunities you have. Mm. What's one piece of advice you would give to a young emerging artist who's just starting to dabble with maybe? trying installation or just anything? I've always felt that you need to be true to yourself. There's lots of trends in the art world that come and go and to jump on that bandwagon, if that's not you, does nothing for your career, does nothing for your satisfaction as an artist. I think you need to be true to who you are and go along that path rather than trying to jump on what's fashionable at the time. Mm. I do. Because I, when I went to university, I really thought that I didn't fit in because I was quite traditional in what I did and mediums that I preferred to use. But I'm still in the industry. I'm still doing things and I haven't changed my loves or I still do what I love to do. So I would say to anybody, be true to who you are yeah. and it's okay. How do you make sure you're still making the work that's true to yourself? because I do it, I suppose, and I find pleasure in what I do and, and satisfaction in what I do. And to me, to jump over and try to do something else, say, I don't know, be an, an abstract painter or something that's very foreign to me, I would find that very frustrating and difficult. And so I won't do it. I just do whatever I like to do. That sounds very selfish, doesn't it? But <laughs> I only no. do what I like to do and that way I enjoy what I do and then I can maintain what I do and I can move forward with what I do. But if I don't do that, it's too hard and I won't continue with what I do. Mm. 
So I know my limitations. I know what I can and can't do. And I, I'll try different things and learn different things. But generally, I stick along a path and move forward on that path. There's so much out there. You think, oh, installation, building houses is fashionable at the moment, so I'm going to do that. It won't ring true in the work for a start, and you won't get much satisfaction out of it, so you won't want to continue on with it. You just have to do what you're meant to do. Mm. It doesn't mean you can't try all those things, but it has to come in its own time. So it is a journey, what I think anyway. Yeah, for sure, definitely. It can't be anything else. No, it can't be. You can't invent it. No, that that's right. As much as you'd like to. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Is there a, a formula to that? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. That you're going to have su- success, whatever you see that as, but you can be someone who's never been to university and have enormous success. So a lot of people go into that education system thinking, I'll get to the end. That'll be fine. I'll be an artist. But there's no rules around that at all. Yeah. And the art world also has all these tiers as well, I find. The definition of success for different artists mm. is totally different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Some people are successful by selling what they make through Instagram and their website. Yep. Some people are successful because they've shown at a Biennale yep. or, you know, in Venice So everyone, yeah, everyone's um, version of success may be different. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of different ways to do it. That's it. There is. Yeah. There is, for sure. What's your um, go-to source of inspiration when you're feeling a bit low on the creative <laughs> juices? Um, I don't know. I just... The way I work is I see what's around me. So something will crop up, housing, architecture, an exhibition. I love the handmade and the hand-drawn and things like that. So I'm very attracted to those sorts of things. But I'll see a building and the abstract nature of that building will capture my imagination and then that's something that I will move forward for and I think, oh, I could try that with that or I'd love to draw that. So it just presents itself in some respects. I don't try too hard. I think if you try too hard because you're feeling a little bit flat, you're just going to tie yourself up in knots. You need to move away mm. and and just let it sort of come. It will come 100%. And in the doing comes the answer. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here we go. We've come full circle. Yeah. So what are you working on right now? Can you share? Oh, well, I've just come off the back of a solo exhibition, having work in Sydney Contemporary, so that was an extremely busy period for me. Right at this moment, I'm just taking a breath. I'm working on two commissions at the moment, and uh, I've got a group show next year, early next year, but at the moment, that's my calendar, which is fine with me. I need time to take a breath and reevaluate what I'm doing and just have a little bit of play in the studio, mm-hmm. see what comes out. What's the group show that's coming up? It's a a drawing show on detail, actually, oh. in uh, Draw Space in Sydney, which is a new artist-run oh, yeah. space. So, oh, cool. Yeah. I, I still haven't been there, but I love the concept. Yeah, oh, it's great. It's great. So yeah. there'll be a show on with some artists that work with detail, <laughs> and I'll be one of them. Nice. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll definitely come. <laughs> I think next March. Okay, noted. Do you ever get post-exhibition blues? Yeah, a bit because it's so such a build-up to the show. Yeah. And then it's done 
And like I had a great time going out to Orange. I had a great time installing and, mm. and that sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden, that's it. I don't need me anymore. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely. And yeah. you've got to then readjust your thinking and what am I going to do? And mm. What does it all mean? Oh, I know. You think, why am I even doing this? I know. Why am I even doing this? (laughs) I know. I'm stupid. But anyway, you just keep going out there and doing it. If you could just uh, wave a magic wand and make any project, regardless of location, budget, materials, collaborations, what would be the dream project for you? I would be working in the streets. Oh, really? Yeah. Doing street art? No, no, not working with the architecture in the street. Yeah? Yeah, architectural interventions. Do you have any more specifics? Not at the moment because I've got something in my mind that I'm considering, but I would like to get a building and work with the building as the site-specific work, how that evolves. Um, I have ideas, but they're not at the point that I would like to share them, I suppose. But that would be if I had no budget and no restrictions, that's what I would do. I'd be working in suburbia. Work with actual buildings. Yeah, without buildings, yeah. 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 Yep. (laughs) Interesting. Where can people go to see your work? I have a gallery in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Dominic Mersch Gallery, and he has worked there, but I haven't got any exhibitions at the moment, I don't believe, because sometimes my work goes out through the gallery, but one's just come back, so I don't think I've got anything out there at the moment. Uh, what about online? Where can people oh, find yes, you? Oh, yes, I definitely have an Instagram page and a website, so they look up my name and that will come up, Catherine O'Donnell. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes, all the links. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. That was Catherine O'Donnell, based in Greater Sydney. You can check out her work on her website, catherineodonnell.com.au, and on her Instagram, at Catherine underscore O-D-O. She's represented by Dominic Mersch Gallery in Sydney, And if you are in Sydney, you will be able to see her work in person this March at Draw Space in Newtown. So keep your eyes peeled. Thank you for listening to the Installation Art Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit follow or subscribe on your podcast app. It really helps. Hey, just one more thing. If you're an artist working with installation or thinking about it or dreaming about it, I have something for you. I've created a private Facebook group called the Installation Art Society where we can connect and exchange resources. Look for the link at the bottom of the show notes.